Bibles to the Old Testament book of Haggai. Um, if you are questioning where it is, just go to Matthew, back up three, you'll find it. So you're, you're, you're right there. A couple of things as we get into the book of, of Haggai. Um, just so that you're familiar with the major prophets, minor prophets. With the, the major prophets, they begin to prophesy for the most part during the time of the Babylonian occupation and then taking them into captivity. But you'll have some like Daniel that will actually prophesy, you know, actually within the captivity. And then you have the minor prophets, and most of those are prophesying during that time of the Babylonian occupation and taking them into captivity. But the last three, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, they actually prophesy where Haggai and, and Zechariah will prophesy after they come back from Babylon. They're going to prophesy to those who are returning. And of course, Malachi does the same thing. And then there's, there's this silence for about 400 years um, until Christ comes on the scene. But as we're looking to Haggai, what Haggai is going to do is this. He's going to talk to the children of Israel, those who are, have returned from Babylon. And we're going to see in just a moment that there's two waves of actually returning from Babylon. There's that return with Ezra, and then there's another return with Jeremiah. Or, I mean, um, with Nehemiah. So you have those two returns that are coming back. So I want to give you a little bit of timeline of what happens because what Haggai does is there during the time of Ezra, we are going to see that there are a couple of people that are in authority there. Um, there's a man by the name of Zerubbabel and another man by the name of Joshua. Zerubbabel is the governor and Joshua is going to be the high priest. And so they are the ones that are directed by Ezra to begin the building of the temple. And what happens is, we'll see this in just a moment, that when they come back from captivity, that it doesn't take long for them to begin the work of the temple. But the issue is, is the work of the temple really begins for about two years and then it ceases. So what I want to do is I want to spend the first couple of minutes, and you say, yeah, well, nothing you do is a couple of minutes, but I want to spend the first few minutes of actually giving you a timeline. So a timeline of what's happening, a timeline of what's going on, so that when we jump into here in verse 1, chapter 1, in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. We'll be able to say, yes, I'm following right along where we are. And I don't want to start this epistle and then, you know, back up somewhere in the middle for what's going on. So keep in mind that for those of you that are note takers, you should know this or at least be aware of it, that there were actually three waves that Babylon did when they took the children of Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, into captivity. Now, we know that about 120 years before Babylon comes and takes Judah and Jerusalem, is uh, Assyria has already taken the northern tribes, so they're out of the way. But now you have the disobedience of Judah and Jerusalem, and God begins to want to teach them, talk to them, and they don't listen. And because they don't listen, God says, I'm going to take you away. We're out of here. And so there are three ways that, actually in the timeline, that Babylon takes the children of Judah and Jerusalem away from the land and brings them to Babylon. The first is in 605 B.C., the second is in 597 B.C., and, the, and of course the third one is in 587 B.C. We see that in the book of Kings, we see that in Jeremiah. And so within that, we understand there's these three ways, and then there's two returns back from Babylon, and so what happens is this, is there's a, a prophecy initially that what begins to happen is this. Beginning in Ezekiel chapter 10, I want to share with you two verses in there. I want to share with you Ezekiel 10 verses 4 and 18. In Ezekiel 10 verse 4, the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub, passed over the threshold of the temple, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. So 
the glory of the Lord goes up from the cherub in the most holy place, and then it passes over the threshold. In other words, it begins to leave the actual temple. And in verse 18, it says, And the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. He now leaves the temple and he goes over to this throne that is there that Ezekiel sees the wheels within wheels. And so uniquely what happens is God leaves the temple. So the first thing that we see is before the destruction of Babylon, that God actually leaves the temple. That's crazy. You, know, you, you think the temple being destroyed is one thing? That's nothing. See, when God leaves the temple, that's everything. And then when the temple is being destroyed, that's just rocks falling down. It is nothing at that point. And this is what we have to be concerned about. The glory of the Lord departs from the temple while it's still standing. And so when it comes to that passage now in 2 Kings chapter 25, I want to read the first 12 verses to you. But it begins this, now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, the tenth month on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it. And they built a siege wall against it and all around, and the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. And by the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land, and the city wall was broken through. And all the men of war fled at night by the way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city. And the king went by the way of the plain. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him, and then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard of the servant, a servant of, king, of, the, of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, verse 9, and he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house. And all the houses of Jerusalem, and that is all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. And so we see the army of the Chaldean, verse 10, who were the, uh, the captain's guard, broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. And then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away the captive, the rest of the people who remained in the city, and defectors who had departed to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. We see that after the Spirit of God leaves the temple of God, then what happens is it just falls apart. God allows Babylon to come and destroy the temple. Now, not before, not before. He actually says in Jeremiah, he says, listen, you, you want to save the temple? You want to save Jerusalem? I'm going to give you one commandment to do, the Sabbath. If you rest, only rest, trust me. Don't trust with your eyes. Just trust me and rest and do nothing. I will bring kings and princes in here on chariots. People will come and they'll worship at this temple. I will save everything if you simply stop, trust in me, rest in me. And what do they do? They couldn't do it. They couldn't even rest. They couldn't stop. They couldn't trust in God. And so we see here this radical thing that begins to happen. Now, they're taken into captivity. And through the book of Daniel, what we see is this. Daniel, of course, in Daniel 9.24 prophesies the seven weeks. And that's, you know, something to make note of. There's another passage in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. He says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and I will perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. God makes a statement that when you go to Babylon, there are going to be 70 years and I will bring you back. 70 years. Now, there is this understanding that now in 605 BC is the first wave that is taken out. 70 years later, now we come to when 
Ezra comes back at 536 B.C. And as he comes back at 536 B.C., we already made a note there's going to be two years of working to build a foundation. And after two years, what's going to happen is the foundation is going to stop. Now, if you would, go to the book of Ezra. And as you find yourself there in the book of Ezra, beginning in chapter 3, I want to read to you initially verses 6 through 13. I'm going to jump over to chapter 4 and read verses 1 through 6. I'm going to stay in chapter 4 and read 11 through 24. I'm going to look at Ezra 5, verses 1 and 2, and then lastly, Ezra 6, 14. I'll repeat them for you as your note takers. I might have gone too fast, but Ezra chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. It says this, oh, beginning in Ezra, let's let's understand first, it begins now, Ezra 1, 1, in the first year of, of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord came by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus of Persia so that he made a proclamation through all the kingdom and put it into writing saying, send Israel home. So chapter 3, verse 6. Now on the first day of the seventh month, they begin to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. So they're now working with an altar and they're offering burnt offerings Now, as they're doing that, verse 7, they also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea of Joppa, to Joppa according to the permission which they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. So they're collecting now material for the temple. Cyrus gives them permission in the second month, verse 8, of the second year, of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Jerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and the rest of their brethren of the priests and the Levites and all those who had come out of captivity to Jerusalem began work and appointed Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. And then Jeshua with his sons and brothers, Kidamel with his sons and the sons of Judah, arose as one to oversee the working on the house of God and the sons of Henadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, now understand, they're not building the temple, it's just the foundation, just an outline. That's what they're getting right now. They've allowed themselves to work two years have gone by. They now have laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. Now keep in mind the foundation is just, you know, ground level, nothing above that. And then it says this, when they laid the foundations, verse 10, of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with the trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with the cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, the king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Then all the people shouted with a great shout and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They're celebrating this foundation. They're celebrating the very beginning of the work. But verse 12, but many of the priests and the Levites and the head of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy. So the people could not discern the noise of the shout of the joy from the noise of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. So some people see a smaller temple, they're grieving. Other people who've never seen the temple are actually seeing a foundation laid, and they're celebrating. So you've got this mixed noise that's going on. Some celebrating, some grieving what is going on. And then in chapter 4, I want to read the first six verses. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord, God of Israel. So the temple foundation is laid. Now the enemy hears they're about to build on that foundation. They came, verse 2, to Jerubbabel, the heads of the father's houses, and said to them, let us build with you. 
For we seek your God as you do, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esarhaddon, the king of Assyria, who brought us here. All of a sudden, we want to help you out. But Zerubbabel, verse 3, and Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the father's houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build a house of God house to the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah, and they troubled them in the building. And they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until even the reign of Darius... And then in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. So now we see here in the days of Artaxerxes, look at verse 11. This is the copy of the letter that they sent to him. To King Artaxerxes from your servant, the men in the region beyond the river and so forth, let it be known to the king, the Jews who came up from you, have come to us at Jerusalem and are building the rebellious and evil city. Now, now it's not starting off well for the children of Israel. They're not happy. They're not like, hey, let's come alongside and build with you. They go, no, no, let's do it ourselves. So not just I'll pray for you and supply you as long as the work of God is done. They didn't want that. And so as soon as they say no, now they're saying, you guys know. And I think this is just so amazing that they say in verse 12, let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up to us at Jerusalem are building the rebellious and evil city and are finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. Now let it be known to the king that if this city is built and the walls are complete, they will not pay tax. In other words, they're going to start rebelling against you. They will not pay tax, tribute, or custom, and the king's treasury will be diminished. Now because we receive support from the palace... It was not proper for us to see the king's dishonor. Therefore, we have sent and informed the king that a search may be made in the book of the record of your fathers. In other words, go into your histories, and you will find in the book of the records and know that this city is a rebellious city, harmful to kings and provinces, and that they have incited sedition within the city in the former times for which cause the city was destroyed. We informed the king that if this city is rebuilt and these walls are completed, the result will be that you will have no dominion beyond the river. So they're rebellious. That's why they were destroyed. And if you let them rebuild, they're going to be rebellious again. Now, these are not friends. And so we see in verse 17, the king then sent an answer. To Raham, the commander, to Shimshai, the scribe, and to the rest of the companions who dwell in Samaria and the remainder beyond the river, peace and so forth. The letter which you sent to us has been clearly read before me, and I gave the command, and the search has been made. And it was found that this city in former times has revolted against kings, and rebellion and sedition have been fostered in it. There have also been mighty kings over Jerusalem who have ruled over all the region beyond the river and tax, tribute, and custom were paid to them. He's talking about David and Solomon. And now give the command to make these men cease. Oops. Here we go. The king that gave them permission because of the opposition of the people of Samaria have now said, stop them. And so we see here, once again, Verse 21 of Ezra chapter 4, Now give the command to make these men cease, that the city may not be built until the command is given by me. Take heed now that you do not fail to do this. Why should damage increase to hurt the kings? Now, when a copy of King Xerdes' letter was read before them, Shimshai and the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem. Now understand, they're in a hurry now. Now we have authority. Now we have power over you. So they went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them cease. Thus, 
Verse 24, the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased, and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So at this point, we now see that as they came in here at 536 B.C., they begin to work for two years, they laid a foundation, and now they cease this work until the second year of Darius, king of Persia. And that's where we're going to see again in, in, in verse 1 of Haggai chapter 1. And now chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah. So Ezra 5, verse 1 and 2. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Ido, the prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Jerubbabel, Zerubbabel, and the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. So now we see these two prophets. We see... Jerubbabel, or we see Haggai here, and then Zechariah, the next book we'll get to in the, in the Old Testament. These two prophets come and they prophesy to the Jews. They say, let's get this going. Let's, let's do this. And so we see here that Zerubbabel and Jeshua now rose up and began to build the house. And we're going to see how the Spirit comes upon Zerubbabel. The Spirit comes upon Joshua. The Spirit comes upon the people, and they begin to do the work. And what a glorious work that that is. And now in Ezra chapter 6, verse 14, the last verse I want to give you is this. So the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Ido. And they built and they finished it according to the commandment of God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Verse 15, now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the, of the reign of King Darius. The temple finally gets built. And so this is what we see. They have this foundation. They were working two years. Now they ceased for about 14 years. Now when it's here at 520 B.C., September 1, to be as a matter of fact, they begin this next work that's through there. And so now that you have an idea of just what it is that's going on, let's look at the prophecies that Haggai gives to Zerubbabel, to Joshua, and to the people of Judah. We're going to see here that within his prophecies, each one is dated. If you take a look at chapter 1, verse 1, in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, this is September 1st, 520 B.C., the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people, the time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should... One more time. The time has not come the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, it is, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled house, houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. I want to focus on verse 1 for just a second because when the second year of Darius in the sixth month on the first day of the month, it says this, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. you got to note two things. One, it isn't the word of Haggai the prophet, it's the word of the Lord and then his messenger. This is key because what's going to happen is a little bit further through this chapter that the people are going to respond to the voice of the Lord. Look at verse 12 of Haggai chapter 1. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the high priest, and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Do you understand what's happening here? The Spirit of God had left the temple. Now the Spirit of God is coming back. 
And there's a moving on the people because God is moving and God is drawing. And it's the word of the Lord. If you're an underliner, if you're a highlighter, I would mark that in your Bible. It's the word of the Lord and not the word of Haggai. The word of the Lord came by Haggai. So he uses an instrument. God will speak through men. I mean, God will speak through a donkey if, if you're Balaam, but understand, it's the word of God that you have to heed. It's, it's to make sure that word, that you have to be that Berean. Search the scriptures to make sure this is the word of God. Pray for the moving of the Spirit. Is this the word of God to me? Is this something that you're causing me to be directed by your word and directed by your spirit? But it is the word of God. And you have to take heed that it is the word of God. If you ever wonder that why I read so much scripture here on Sundays and Wednesdays, why it is, why don't I just kind of just quote and verify it or, or, or just kind of peruse it and kind of just go off the top man? I want you to look in your Bibles. I want you to see this word. This word is living and powerful and sharper than it should. This word will not return void. That's why we go to the word. And it's the word of God. And as you open your Bible and you turn to a passage, I hope every time I say, turn here, you're like, this is not the word of Lowell. This is the word of God spoken by the word of Lowell, read by me. But that's what it is. It's the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. And so he speaks to the governor. He speaks to the high priest. And he says in verse 2, thus speaks, thus speaks the Lord of hosts. And he makes this statement. The people say, and this is what the people are saying, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. It's not time yet to build the Lord's house. It's not God's timing. Now, I know he wants us to build his house. We've got the foundation for the house, but is it really time to do the rest of the work? Is it time to go back? I mean, we stopped for 14 years. We've got all these things that are in the way. We've got all these obstacles that are here. What are we going to do? How can we get around it? And so when we look to these things, they say, listen, it isn't time that the Lord's house should be built. But God asked this question in verse 3. He says, the word Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins? Now, keep in mind, for 14 years, they've been living in houses, but God doesn't have a house. And the longer they live in the house, the longer they let that work go, the longer it takes to start the work, guess what? The harder it is to start. Have you ever noticed that when God speaks you to do something and you don't simply surrender right away and do the things that he caused you, the more you delay, it's like what? Well, it becomes less and less important. Other things get in the way. When he calls you to do something, when he walks to you and he talks to you, he says, do this. Now, the amazing thing is this. If you are familiar with that passage in 1 Kings, I want to start reading in chapter 6, verse 9. And I want to read 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. I want you to see the priority of Solomon. Solomon does this. In 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 9, it says, So he, that is Solomon, built the temple and finished it. And he paneled the temple with beams and boards of cedar. He builds the temple of God. And then in chapter 7, verse 1, but Solomon took 13 years to build his own house, so he finished all his house. He builds God's house first, then he builds his own. He's like, I want God's house established, then I'm going to build my house, and I think it's important to recognize this. Now, they may be thinking, wait a second, we got some problems here because there, there's enemies all around. Because remember, the, the people of Syria, of Samaria, had sent letters to the king to stop them, stop them, and they by force made them stop. There's enemies. What are we going to do because there's enemies all around? And I think it's interesting that what God is going to say is, really, you're going to be worried about the enemies? I'm going to be the one to fight for you. So you don't have to worry about enemies. 
And you can make excuses that there's people there, but I want you to jump here to Haggai chapter 2 and and, and look at verse 21 and 22. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down every one by the sword of his brother. Oh my goodness, God, I'm going to fight for you. What are you worried about enemies? It's not that the enemies are against you, but I'm against your enemies. Tell me who needs to panic. It isn't you. Don't make an excuse that there's these obstacles that I can't do that. There are no excuses for me to go and to do this. And you may be saying, well, wait a second. We don't have the money. There's a drought that's been going on. And within that drought, you know, we, all of our resources are gone. We're depleted. We don't have what we need. Now, keep in mind that in verses 10 and 11 here of Haggai chapter 1, it says, Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land on the mountains. I'm the one that did this. And as you're looking to this place, you say, well, we don't have the resources anymore. We, we, we had money, but because of this drought, because of all these things that are happening, we don't have the resources to continue the build. Because look at Haggai chapter 1, verses 6. He says, you've sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. You have nothing. In other words, you're hewing for yourselves broken cisterns that hold no water. Nothing you do is going to bear fruit because you aren't doing what I called you to do. You seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be at. And if you're worried about resources, if you're worried about those things, look at Haggai chapter 2 verse 8. He says this, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. Do you think you're going to have a problem funding this? Do you think that I won't supply what you need? Everything is mine. If I'm calling you to do this, where God guides, God provides. It's a beautiful thing to recognize the heart of God. So, so don't bring in excuses. Don't bring in things where you think, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. Because God is saying, listen, <laughs> what excuse? I'm the one that caused the drought. But guess what? I'm the one that can stop it. I'm the one that can turn all of these curses into blessings. And, and, and that's what happens. When God says, when you get in the right path, when you get into my will, when you begin to do what I called you to do, verse 19 of Haggai chapter 2 says this, is the seed still in the barn? And yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded its fruit. But from this day, I will bless you. Oh my goodness, get on the path and watch things change. A lot of times the trouble, everything empties out because what? You're not in the will of God. And when you are in the will of God, we begin to see just God moving and God blessing. And so it's not always that case, but it's a good sign to look to the Lord. As you're guiding, you're providing, you're moving in this direction. I'm so thrilled that we just wait on God and he shows us his heart. And so we see here, when the people are making excuses, back in Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, thus the, speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. And the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins? Look at you're serving you but you're not serving God. You're trying to bless you, but you're not trying to bless God. You're trying to show your glory, your houses, your comfort, but you're not wanting God in his glory. And you stop now for over 14 years, get back on track. And so we see here, now he says in verse five, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Do you really want to continue going in the direction you're going? Do you really want to do this? Are you really wanting to say, let's just continue doing what we're doing? Now, you know the fruit of what you're doing, don't you? 
Keep in mind that the, what they have is this. The fruit of what they're doing is there is no fruit. There is no blessings. Look at verse 6 again. You've sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink and are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Do you understand the sandwich that he makes? He says in verse 5, consider your ways. He says in verse 7, consider your ways. And then he says, this is what's going on. Your life is empty. Your life is void of blessings. Your life is void of fruit. Why do you want to continue in that path? Change it. If you want your life to change, you've got to change what you're doing. Now he says this, verse 8. He gives him a new direction. He says, go to the mountains and bring wood. And build a temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. I want you to just start doing what I've called you to do so I can take pleasure in it. So I can be glorified in it. It's amazing how many times people come to me with issues in their lives and saying, you know, Pastor Lowell, here's an example. My marriage is a mess. This is going on. This is going on. And so what I'll do is I'll sit them down and I'll give them scripture. Here's the word of God. Begin to pursue him and seek him and glorify him. And then, and then let his spirit guide you. Become this, this servant in your home and serve the Lord. Realize that everything that you have is not yours. You are a steward of it. And glorify God with everything. And they come in a few weeks later and say, Pastor Lowell, it's just it's not working. Are, are you doing the things I, we talked about? No. Well, if you're not doing the things that we talked about, if you haven't changed your ways, how is the situation going to change? It's about yielding and coming back to the word of the Lord. And here he says, just go and bring in wood. Just start the process. Bring the wood. Build the temple that I, God says, I can take pleasure in what you're doing because you're now walking my will. I will be glorified, says the Lord. Now verse 9, he says, you looked for much, but indeed it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. He says, when, when you do this, this is going to benefit you. This is going to benefit me. He says, before you were always pursuing stuff, but it wasn't for me. It wasn't for my temple. It was for you. You looked for much. And, it, and it, understand it means for yourself. But indeed, it came to little. And when you brought it home, you didn't bring it to me. You brought it home to you. I blew it away. Why, says the Lord? Of hosts, because my house is in ruins. Well, every one of you runs his own house. You guys have houses. You guys are comfortable. Why aren't you serving me? You're serving yourselves. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew. The earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and on the mountains, on the grain and on the new wine, the oil and whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and on all the labor of your lands. He said, I've withheld the blessings because you've not walked in my will. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added. You didn't seek me first. You're seeking you first. And I'm holding these things back so that what? So that you cry out to me. But they didn't. They just continued in their way thinking, well, maybe if I work harder, maybe if I do this. Stop what you're doing. If it's not bearing fruit, come back to the Lord and then watch what he does. And so he says, I'm the one that, that stopped all the grain. I'm the one that stopped the, the olives. I'm the one that stopped the wine. I called for a drought, verse 11. Well, when Haggai says this in verse 12, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord. This is key. We talked about it. They didn't obey Haggai. They obeyed the voice of the Lord. What? They went and got wood, started building the temple. This is what they're doing. The Spirit of God begins to move. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the presence of the Lord. They had this awe, this reverence, this, this holy fear of God. Then Haggai, verse 13, the Lord's messenger spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I'm with you, says the Lord. What an encouragement. Oh my goodness. He says, here I am. Now remember, when we read there in Ezekiel, the, the, there the, the temple, the spirit of God departed from the temple. God says, I'm back. I'm back with you. And can you imagine the celebration that should be going on? 
When they celebrated the foundation was laid, that's not the celebration. God says, I'm here. That's the celebration. When the glory of God comes upon the, the people, when the Spirit of God comes upon the, the, the temple, this is the key. And so we see here, God says, I am with you, says the Lord. At that point, ask yourself a question. What is not possible? With that statement, what isn't possible? And the thing is what? With God, all things are possible. There isn't anything that isn't possible now when God says, I am with you, says the Lord. So keep in mind, they obeyed the voice. That's the key. Verse 12 is first. They obeyed the voice and then what? And then as they believe the voice, they believe that the, 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 the promise of God, the word of God, the power came from that. And then God says, I'm with you. So first they obey, then God is with them. Now, verse 14, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. Now his spirit is, is just the, the spirit within Zerubbabel, the governor, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah. He stirs up the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Isn't that amazing? As they obey God's voice, he's there, and the Spirit now begins to move in them. And then on the 24th day of the sixth month of the second year of King Darius, oh, so they begin to do this on the 24th day of the sixth month and the second year of King Darius. Now, chapter 2, in the seventh month, the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. So once again, we see here it's the seventh month. Now we're looking at October 21st at 520 BC. So starting from September 1, we go to October 21st, a couple months later. It says this in the seventh month of the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. So God comes back to um, Haggai. He says, now that I've given you a message of building, now chapter 2, I need you to give them another message on believing. They have to understand what they're doing. So he says, I want you to speak to them. And he says in verse 3, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is it not in your eyes as nothing? Now remember, when they saw the foundation, they were thinking, oh man. And now it's built and they're thinking, oh man. And God says, what, what are you doing thinking that this is nothing? Why do you think it's nothing? Now, if you're looking to the past glory of the past temple, I want you to realize one thing. In Ezekiel chapter 10, what did I do? I left it. I didn't care how big it was. I didn't care how glorious. I didn't care how much gold was in it. I left it. And I allowed Babylon to burn it down. That's what I thought of that temple. Doesn't make a difference how big it is. Doesn't make a difference how mighty it is. Understand what God is trying to do. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, he kind of says the same thing. He says, who has despised the day of small things? Don't worry because it doesn't seem big. Don't worry because it doesn't seem mighty. Rejoice in it because what? The Spirit of God is moving. The Spirit of God is here. And isn't about these you know, giant, glorious buildings. It isn't about that. Don't, don't think, oh, do you think this is now nothing? Is this little in your eyes? And I think it's so interesting where he asks in verse 3, is this not, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Do you see this temple as nothing? And I think it's, it's so interesting to look at really what it is that, that God wants to do. And you know what God says about this little temple? The, the one that people were looking at the foundation, some were crying, some were celebrating. And now he says, now that it's built, do you see it as nothing? Look at what he says in verse 9 of Haggai chapter 2. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. 
The other temple may have had glory when I was there, and then I was gone. It was nothing but a pile of stones. Let it burn. And I don't care how big it is. I don't care how little it is. What I care about is just what makes this temple a place of glory is me. Not size. Not, not building. Me. And it's so amazing that as they were starting to build, as Herod would get them to a building product, making it greater, greater, grander, grander, what did God do? He just allowed Rome to go tear it down. I don't care about big. I care about me in the midst. This is God, and this has always been his heart. So he says now, for those that may see it as nothing, and I think it's so important to say, you know, what do you think of this? And I think it's important for you and I to actually look at our own lives and say, what do you think of God working in our lives? You go, well, he's not doing much. But wait a second. Is he in your heart? Is he in your life? Is the spirit in you? Then it's glory. It's not about everything that comes. It's not the greatness of it. It's that God is there. And allowing God just to, to say, come into my life, come into my heart. You have purchased me. You're in me. Now, now guide me, lead me. Just, just you live your will through my life. That's all I want to do. You tell me to go cut wood and begin the work. I'm going to go begin the work. That you can take pleasure in the work. That you can be glorified in what is happening. Don't worry that it's not some great deed. It could be a little deed. Do you think the things that you do, do you see it in your eyes as nothing? Now all of a sudden you wake up and you have devotions and that's all you did for the Lord. Do you think that as nothing? Do you understand that God met with you? The creator of the universe, the God that saves the world through the, the, the has given salvation for any who would want it, if they believe in the work of God. He has met with you. And do you think it a little thing? You understand it's the presence of God that means everything, not, not the amount of work, not the largeness of the work. It isn't that you have to evangelize a stadium like Billy Graham or Greg Glory. That's not the key. Are you evangelizing your neighbor? Are you evangelizing your coworker? Are you telling a stranger God loves them? Isn't that amazing? We look to power. We look to these things, the prophets of God. We look to say, let's, let's part the Red Sea. Let's call fire down from heaven. Consume the captains in their 50s. Let's, let's do that. You know, let, let, let's call the Spirit of God down to consume the altar, consume the sacrifice, consume the stones, consume the water. Let's just show power. And yet what? John the Baptist didn't do any signs. Didn't do any miracles. But everything that he said about Jesus was true. And Jesus said this of John. Of all the men born of women, there's none greater than him. You understand? We think of things and we look at it in our eyes as nothing. And yet if God is leading it, it's glorious. Don't despise little things. Don't despise the fact that I only witnessed once. But it was led by God. And I only handed out a track or I left a track when I went into, you know, a, a bathroom and I just left the track there right on the sink so that whoever could walk in next would see the track. That's all I did. Praise God. That's what you did. If you're led by the Lord, is that a little thing? Is that nothing? No, that's the leading of God. And I think it's so important that, that he says in comparison with it at the end of verse three, is this not in your eyes is nothing yet. Verse nine, but the glory of this is going to be great, God says. Little things that we do can be great in the eyes of the Lord. So he says in verse 4 here, chapter 2, Now yet be, not yet now be strong as a Rubel, says the Lord, and be strong Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong all you people the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Let's get going. Do the things that I called you to do. Be led by my spirit. And I love the fact that what he's calling them to do is this. Get wood, build a temple. Now, I'm going to ask you this. Which of the laws of the commandments saying get wood and build a temple? Now, there isn't the, the laws. Of the but this is the leading of the spirit. 
when they're following the leading of the Spirit, and God says, I'm going to bless. I'm going to bless the leading as you obey my words. And so he says, be strong in this. Why? Because I'm with you, says the Lord of hosts. And I love this. He says, all you people, be strong. Work. Serve me. Do what I'm calling you to do, for I am with you, says the Lord. And according to verse 5, the word that, the, that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, do not fear. God had told them two things when they left Egypt. He had one made a promise to Abraham. And Abraham, he said, I will give you the land. This land is yours, and it's, it's something that I promised to Abraham, so you're going to come into this land because it's unconditional. You do nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it. I'm just bringing you in. But along with that, while they were traveling through the wilderness, they had what? A conditional covenant there in Exodus 19. If you do this, then you'll be my special people. If you don't do this, then we got problems. And they said, oh, wow, we, absolutely, everything you say, we will do. Do you wonder why Israel was kicked out of the land? Because they didn't keep that conditional covenant. Do you know why God brought them into the land? Because God gave an unconditional covenant to Abraham. This is the key to understanding what's going on here. God says, I brought you back. But now that I brought you back in this unconditional covenant, now I need you to what? I need you to begin to look to my heart again. I need you to begin to obey my voice again. Just don't do what you want to do. Listen to me. And understand that so many people look to grace. Say, grace is I get to do what I want. Grace is not getting to do what you want. Grace is what? Walking, being able to, wherever I've sinned, come to God to listen to his voice and to walk his will. That's what he wants. All these things in Ephesians 2.10, he says, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God had prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We need to listen to the word of God. We need to listen to the spirit. We need to obey God. And as you obey God, guess what? You're going to find your place in a place of blessings. When you don't obey the spirit, guess what? You're going to find your place in a place of no blessings, cursings. And these things will come on you. Why aren't I blessed? Why is it that I've sown and I bring in little? Why is it that I eat and I don't have enough? Why is it that I can drink but I'm not filled with drink? Why is it that I'm clothing myself yet I'm not warm? Why is it that I put wages into this bag and it's like the bag has holes? Why is it nothing seems to work? <laughs> because you're not listening to my will. This is the heart, and, and the simplicity of obeying God is so sweet and so easy. And so he makes this statement. He says, listen, again in verse 4, all the people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, verse 5, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, don't fear. I'm here, I promised this land, I've made a covenant with Abraham, I told you that at the beginning of Exodus, I'm going to free you, I'm going to bring you out, I'm going to bring you to this land, because I promised Abraham, I promised Isaac, I promised Jacob, do not fear. Now verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts once more, and it is a little while, I'll shake heaven and earth and sea and dry land, and I will shake all the nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Do you understand? You may think it's little, but they're not coming to see the building. They're coming to experience me. They're coming to the desire of all nations, and I'm going to fill this temple with glory. And they're going to come and experience my glory. That's what makes this building what it is. The obedience of God, the, the, the listening to his spirit, following his directives, and then seeing him glorified, focusing on him and him alone and allowing him to do the things that he wants. And I love the heart of it because his men, they're all going to come and they're going to to the desire of nations. They're going to come to me, not the temple, to me, the God in the temple, the God of this temple. And he says this. After he says, then they shall come to desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, said the Lord. Always is the silver is mine and the gold is mine. Do you think you're going to have a problem? I'm going to bless. And then he says in verse 9, and the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, 
I'm going to tell people that feel separated from me that they can come in through what? Well, first he shadows and the types of sacrifices, but eventually they're going to point to Jesus Christ. They're going to come and they're going to have peace. I will give peace. And amazing when Jesus is born, what did the angels say? Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. You'll have peace with God and peace with one another. God is the God of peace. And so I, I love the heart of it. He says, I will give peace. And in this place, when they come to this temple, when they come to give sacrifice, when they come to seek me, they're going to find me. They're going to have peace. I will give peace, says the Lord. And then he, he makes this, this statement. He said, yeah, I've left the other temple there in, 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 in uh, um, Ezekiel 10, but I've come back and I'm going to fill this place. In verse 10, he says now this, on the 24th day of the ninth month, so December 24th, now in um, um, 520 BC, he does this. He's going to give two messages on this day. He's going to give a message here in verses 10 through um, 17, and he's going to give a, an, another message, you know, beginning in verse 18 to the end of the chapter. One message is going to be to the priest. The other message is going to be to um, Zerubbabel. Let's take a look at here at the message to the priest in verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying. So again, we understand. It gives you the date. The word of the Lord, and it comes by Haggai. Thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 11. Now ask the priests concerning the law. He's going to ask them this question, saying, If one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew or wine or oil or anything, will it become holy? Then the priest answered and said, No. So if something holy touches something common, does the holy make the common holy? The answer is no, it doesn't. But then he asked this question in verse 13. And Haggai said, if one who is unclean because of the dead body, because of a dead body touches any of these, the holy things, will it be unclean? And then what do they do? So the priest answered said, it shall be unclean. Then Haggai answered in verse 14, so is this people and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. I want you to see what God begins to, to try to share with these people. He actually asks, okay, now, if, if you have this work of righteousness and this worship of righteousness, and then you mix in sin, will that work of righteousness and the worship of righteousness make that sin good? Absolutely not. But if you're in sin and then you do a work of righteousness and worship in righteousness, does it hinder what that is? Absolutely. See, you, you have to understand that, 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 that righteousness doesn't make sin righteous, but sin makes righteousness what? No longer righteous. In other words, if you have pure water and you add dirty water, does the water do what? Well, it becomes dirty. But if you have dirty water and you add in pure water, does the pure water make the dirty water pure? No, it just makes it a little less dirty. But it's still dirty water. Do you understand? One corrupts one, but one doesn't fix the other. And this is what he's trying to say. If you have this, this holy meat in the fold of your garment, and you touch something common, does that common become holy? No, it doesn't. And, and then Haggai says, well, if one is unclean, and then he touches something, any of these things, will it become unclean? And the answer is absolutely, it does. He says, and that's the issue with this nation. The issue of this nation is it's, it's, it's in sin. And when it's in sin, the things that you do that are righteous aren't really all that righteous. In other words, cease from sinning and then do righteousness. Do you understand? Don't continue to sin and just add in a little bit of righteousness, like God's going to weigh down a scale now. No, when you sin, you sin. He judges the sin. He says, don't go in that direction. Repent of it. Get rid of that and start a new direction. Get rid of the dirty water and just take the pure water. That's what you do. You, know, you don't add the pure to the dirty. You get rid of the sin. And I think it's so important to recognize this. And then he says this in verse 15. And now 
carefully consider from this day forward. In other words, I'm telling you this so that you can make a new start. Get rid of the old, get rid of the sin, get rid of all that stuff that's unclean that you've been doing. Start doing what I've called you to do. Start seeking my spirit. Start walking in my words. Start walking in my will. And so he says in verse 15, now carefully consider from this day forward, from before the stone was laid upon the stone in the temple. Consider, consider what happens before you even begin to do this, this temple. Since those days when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, and there were but 10, and one came to a wine vat to draw out 50 baths of the, the press, and there were but 20. You came expecting a lot, and you got nothing. You got less. Why? Because I, I didn't give you the blessing. You came expecting a blessing, and it wasn't there. It wasn't like you thought. You, you came expecting, and I like the, the heart of this, you came expecting a heap of 20 ephahs, and there's only 10. You wanted 50 baths of wine, but you only got 20. You're not getting the blessing you want because you're not walking in my will. And verse 17 says, I struck you with blight and mildew and hail in all the labors of your hands. Yet you didn't turn to me. All these things were happening and you didn't repent. You didn't come to me. You didn't change your ways. Now consider now from this day forward. Now notice again the sandwich, verse 15 and verse 18. He said in 15, consider from this day forward. I'm going to give you a new start. He says, don't go the same way that caused you to not get the fullness of my blessing. Verse 18, consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, in other words, from today. <laughs> Don't wait till tomorrow. Now that I told you today, change today. Change your heart today. Change your mind today. Change your life today. And it's so important to say you need to do this now that the Spirit's working. Don't wait till tomorrow. Just repent now. Come back to where he's called you to do. And he says this, Consider now, verse 18, from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? And, and the, as yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded its fruit? But from this day I will bless you. He said, are you experienced what we talked about there in Haggai 1.6? Are you experienced that you've sown much and you bring in little? You eat and you don't have enough. You drink and you're not filled. You clothe and you're not warm. You earn wages, but you put into a bag with holes. Are you experiencing that? Are you experiencing you're trying to do things for God and then you're not getting any joy? There's no blessing. Why? Because you're mixing it with sin. Turn from that sin. Repent from that sin. Just simply seek the Lord. And I love the heart of it. He says, because when you do, when you, when you say, I repent of this, I'm going to go in this, he makes a statement at the end of verse 19 after he says, consider now from this day forward, you change your thinking, you change your actions, but from this day, I will bless you. Do you understand? Everything's going to change as soon as you change. If you continue in the old path, nothing's going to change. Oh, Pastor Lowell, what can I do? We'll do this. Is it working? No. Are you doing it? No. Until you repent, until you change, until you do, nothing changes. But he says, as soon as you change, in verse 19, from this day, I'll bless you. And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, verse 20, on the 24th day of the month, still speaking of December 24th, 520 BC, saying, speak to Zerubbabel. Now he spoke to the priest, saying, is it clean? Is it unclean? What you can't add unclean and make it clean, you have to do what? Stick with clean. Stick with me. You can't just have works of righteousness and works of sin. Get rid of your sin. Do the righteousness. Now he comes, after he speaks to the priest, he speaks to Zerubbabel. And he says to this governor of this little tiny place that is beginning to build in rubble, who now has his spirit, who's now beginning the work, this is what he says to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, 
I will shake heaven and earth and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. And that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. This little governor says, whoa, I don't have to worry about Gentile armies. I don't have to worry that we're in rubble. I don't have to worry about any of these things because what? God, you said, you have made me authority. You've given me authority over this place to do your will, and I'm going to do your will. And, and so when he says, I've made you like this signet ring, you, you God says, I've made you my priority, and I've poured in my blessings. Why? Because you made me your priority, and you've sought my blessings. You sought me, and as soon as I became your priority, notice everything begins to change. He was the governor here when everything was in rubble. He was the governor when everything was going, and there was a drought, and they couldn't earn anything, and everything was not working. And even as the governor, he didn't change. He didn't lead it. Joshua, the high priest, didn't change, didn't lead it. Haggai comes on, gives a word, one word, and all of a sudden everybody's like, yeah, great word, let's do it. But you understand it was the Lord's timing, the Lord's grace, and as soon as the word came, they said, let's do this word, and then God blessed. And he says, and I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you Zerubbabel, I'm going to make you like a signet ring. That the, the indentation of who you are is going to be the stamp of my authority, my word, as you literally take this what? image that I put upon you. It's going to be my signature. You're not going to be yourself. You're going to be the image of my authority, my power. And I think what? Imitate Christ. Just, just find yourself living in the image of Christ, the, the, the doing the things that he does and, and being led by his spirit. And watch God bless. Watch things in your life change. If you're wondering, why aren't things doing what we want? It's like, just get back into the will of God. And don't expect it. They got to be big. They got to be mighty. He says, no, they just have to have what? The spirit of God in them. I don't care how little they are. I don't care how big they are. Because he says, don't think of what we do as nothing. Think of it as, am I there? And if I'm there, then there's glory. Then there's glory. All you need to seek is my glory. If you seek my glory, guess what? I'm going to pour out my blessings. And it isn't going to be a reward for you to do that because you're just going to be in a spot where my blessings are. The blessings are always here. And if you find yourself going there where God says, go here, you're going to find a blessing. If you don't go there, you're wandering all over. Where are the blessings, Lord? They're right here. And you're still wandering. Where are the blessings? They're right here. You go like, whoa, there's blessings. I've been telling you that. Come back to that place that God says, here's my spirit. Here's my blessings. Here's my glory. Let us be those things that we seek after. Amen? Amen. Father, we are so grateful for your word, your goodness, your grace, how good you are. Father, forgive us for those times where things are just not going well and we're just digging and digging and trying to figure out and there's nothing that is bearing fruit, Lord. And then we don't go to you. We try to change what we're doing. We try to say, well, let me change this and let me change this. And all we really want, Lord, and all we really need is just the presence of your spirit. The presence of your spirit. And that we could honor you and glorify you, even in the simple things of cutting wood. Just starting to cut wood. How good you are, Lord. We ask that you would lead us in the, the little things. And as we're faithful in the little things, lead us into greater things. We don't want to limit who you are or what you're doing. But we want, above all things, only to see your glory. Whether the little, whether the big, we want to see your glory. Do the work within us. Help us, Lord, be those ones to consider now your word. The word that you spoke through your spirit here tonight. Leave those things that are unclean. Pursue those things that are pure. And you'll start over brand new. And from this day forward, there'll be a blessing. From this moment forward, there'll be a blessing. How amazing is that, Lord, that we walk in these things and all of a sudden we find joy and peace in you. 
and power and blessings. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this word. Thank you that it's not my words. And it isn't just Haggai's words, but it's your word that you've spoken through him and through me tonight. Help us heed you and your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.